Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Sunrise on this great day. This, uh, for, for many of the students out there, the last, one of the last weekends, right? The last Sunday before school starts. So it's, it's you know, routine is good, I guess, sometimes. But um, wonderful to be with you guys for worship. Um, welcome also for you guys worshiping with us online. It's good to have you guys with us today. My name is Dan, the worship director here at Sunrise. Um, I want to start things off with reading from, uh, reading a psalm. I often do that, but and I read Psalm 36, um, probably the most often of all the psalms I read for um, the call to worship. I, said, I love Psalm 36 so much, but I want to read it from a different um, spot this morning. This is a book called Sheltering Mercy. It was a book that just came out. Um, Dan Wilt and another person, they took all the psalms and kind of rewrote them into prayers. So it's a, a prayer book, but the psalms are also a song and prayer book, but they rewrote them using other scripture woven in, and um, I just, I love it so much, and I want to read a section of this to start things off this morning. So here are these words from Psalm 36. If I could measure your goodness, <clears throat> would it not fill creation? Everywhere I look, I see the mercies of God. In the mountain peak, pillared cloud, swirling waters, all created things, singing Hallelujah. I am in awe of your goodness. You save to the uttermost all who come to you. You cover them in your kindness, rags to righteousness. Shielding them from the sting of death, you seat us in places of honor at your never-ending feast. We go from glory to glory. Even as our bodies waste away, we are being renewed, a patient chrysalis waiting for new creation. To walk with you in the cool of the day, with no need of sun or moon. I'm going to read that part one more time as I love it so much. Even as our bodies waste away, we are being renewed, a patient chrysalis waiting for new creation. I think that's just a, a wonderful, beautiful image for us all today that God is renewing us constantly and, and drawing us to him. So why don't we stand as we worship and sing this morning.
that praise. Let praise be a weapon that silences the enemy. Let praise be a weapon that conquers all anxiety. Let it rise. Let praise arise. So we sing your name in the dark and it changes everything. We sing with all we are and we claim your victory. Yes, let it rise. Let praise arise. We'll see you break down every wall. We'll watch the giants fall. You cannot survive and we praise you. The God of faith is on our side.
we sang are of your creation we join with creation song today God the rocks cry out the waves the seas roar the trees bend their branches the wind obeys your command and you do all that all those great amazing miraculous things and yet you also love each one of us so deeply you know what each one of us so intimately so kind and so good to each one of us may you continue to reveal that to each one of us some of us may not understand or even believe that today that you could be a God that loves us even in the midst of our past and the things that we may have done but you are a kind and loving and forgiving God yeah God just reveal that to us today Open our eyes and our hearts to see that and receive your grace and your love today, Jesus. We offer all these things in this worship to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. Good morning, Sunrise. My name is Byron, and... I'm glad you're here because otherwise me and Dan and Carol would be lonely. (laughs) Uh, My wife Mary and I are partner people here and as 44-year veterans of commitment, we'd encourage you to make that kind of commitment as well, if you're not. Hey, if you're new, we make it easy for you to get connected by giving you a quick response code. I don't know if you knew that's what QR stands for, QR on the backs of chairs, on the screen, out in the lobby. And if you prefer the analog approach, just go to the connect table after the service if you're here. But if you're online, we'd like you to get connected as well because you had come today, you might have gotten sweet corn. But that's another story. (laughs) So uh, here's my praises. Last Saturday morning, 6 in the morning, Jeff Lamberts texted me and said, man, you got to see the sunrise. (laughs) I was already on the way to the airport with sun number three, but he was right. It was a beautiful sunrise. And it made me think about, you know, we call ourselves sunrise, and I wonder, you know, what color is your sunrise today? I hope it's a good color. I hope, even though it might portend some kind of nourishing rain, I hope you have a a good color in your sky today for your sunrise. Hey, if you're a calendar legalist, And at the start of the summer, you marked the last Sunday of June, July, and August as Hager Park Days. You'll have to fix it because we won't be at Hager Park next Sunday, the last Sunday of August. We'll be at Hager Park the Sunday after that, Labor Day Sunday. So fix your calendars and see us there, uh, 10 p.m., 10 a.m., normal time, next Sunday. Are you tired of summer yet? You're ready to scrape an inch of ice and snow off your car after church? (laughs) Apparently not. All right. Okay, so here's my announcement. Sunrise students have their fall kickoff Wednesday, uh, September 14. Check in with Tanner. If you've got kids that need to get connected, um, talk to Tanner. 
Uh, September 11th, the week after Labor Day weekend, is Promotion Sunday. Incoming kindergartners will go to the uh, large group room and three-year-olds move up, pre-K. Then September 18th, here at Sunrise, for all the adults and everybody, it's the fall kickoff day. I'm, you know, Dan and the group will have uh, good stuff for us. All right? Okay, now, kids, tell your parents that you're tired of this stuff and you want to go have fun. All right? So we're going to, kids go out and adults have three minutes to introduce themselves to somebody new. All right? You guys can find your way to your seats. Well, this morning, we welcome uh, Michael Ringelberg to worship with us to um, bring the sermon for this morning, our visiting pastor. So, Micah, we have a connection with you. You are friends with Stepanics, partners of Sunrise. Um, tell us a little bit about that connection and what kind of got you into ministry a little bit. Yeah, uh, so I am finishing up my MDiv at Calvin Theological Seminary, and as the final requirement, I did an internship at Spectrum as a chaplain intern. And Kelly works at Spectrum, and as much as I tried to avoid her, she is... <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> she um, she's, was super warm, super welcoming, and uh, just uh, said, uh, I'm going to get you to preach at your church, my church one awesome. of these days, so... I saw in your bio that you worked for a few years prior to... I did. So tell us a little about how, how, what draw you from like the work, working world into seminary work. Yeah. Um, long story short, I, I, I made a promise to God that I would get invested in the church and see what would happen. So I got involved in a church and uh, ended up working and being involved in the church, and I couldn't do both. Okay. So mm-hmm. God just... Um, if you give him an inch, he'll take you miles. Yeah, so. Yes, he does. Well, welcome. Welcome to heaven. Yeah. Good morning. I um, told you guys don't do prayers of illumination here, but I'm going to invite you into a, a new practice. It's actually a very old Christian practice. It's just as we come to God's word, um, it's his Holy Spirit that opens it up and then also makes it able to be applied to our lives. So I'm going to invite you now to just join me in a quick prayer. Heavenly Father, gracious God, Lord, you came into the world as the light to the world. And Lord, we come before you this morning with hearts and ears that need to be opened up and softened. Lord, we come with concerns and weights. Father, I just pray that you would lay all those things aside Lord, that you would reveal yourself, reveal your heart and your truth to each of us this morning in your gracious goodness. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right. So our text today is Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 31. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up. I'm going to be reading in the NIV, um, but any version really says about the same thing. Acts 9, 1 through 31. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, He might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, Now get up and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. 
For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among all those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord And that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the the Lord and the encouragement by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. This is God's word to us this morning. Thanks be to God. This morning I'm going to look through this text through three specific lenses, three points if you want. First one is one of radical transformation. That is, fundamentally, from the foundation of who we are, the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus, our Savior, changes us utterly, entirely. The second point is God with us. That God is closer to us than we know, even when we don't see him or don't feel like he hears us. And finally... The third point is an invitation into what God is doing. That is the invitation to participate in God's salvific work. That the God of salvation who did everything on his own on the cross now invites you and I into the continual work of salvation. That he increases his glory through you and I. It's an invitation. The first point 
that of radical transformation, that is, who we are without God. Our text confronts us with it in verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. Doesn't matter what version of the Bible you have, they all translate one word in that exactly the same. Breathing. The Greek word is empneo. And it's actually, interestingly enough, random fun fact that means nothing, but a B student in Greek knows. Hapax legomenon means it's one time, right? A single time. A thing, right? This word shows up once in Scripture, right here in this passage. Saul breathing threats and murder or slaughter, as some translates, translations say it. If you have a Greek ear, you might think of the word pneuma, which means spirit or breath, but it's different. Empneo is used once. And we get further clarification on what it means from texts outside the Bible. This word is used in several resources. I grabbed two. It's used in a play to describe uh, a chase of horses, right? And the, the breath of the horses is felt on the back of their neck as they're running, right? It's used in another one, a resource actually closer to the time when the writer of Acts would have used this word. It's used to describe breath, the breathing into the flute. Now, I have not a single musical gift. If um, we do a song that's clapping, and I hope we don't, um, I actually have to watch the person next to me to coordinate when to clap. I cannot keep a beat. But even without any musical talent or knowledge or ability, I know that a flute fundamentally needs breath. You can play a flute badly with breath, but you cannot play a flute at all without it. So this phrase, this first sentence, Saul is breathing out threats and murder, is specifically planted in there to set the context of who Saul is. You should get Darth Vader type vibes, right? His whole function, his being, his focus is singular. And it's breathing out threats and murder to the church. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. That's Jesus' words in Matthew 15. And I think they set the context for what is trying to be communicated here. That everything Saul does comes from a foundation, a spring, that hates God and hates his neighbor. Hates people. Breathing out threats and murder. It's a type of description you would want to do if you really wanted to paint, paint someone in a horrible lens, right? But that's why I think this actually is so significant. See, I don't think these are the description of Saul from someone else. I think this is Saul or Paul describing himself. The Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts are written almost certainly, really certainly, by a disciple named Luke. That same Luke is, is mentioned in three of Paul's epistle letters as a companion, someone who serves with him, a close co-worker. Not only that, in the Gospel of Luke, which the same author of Luke writes Acts, we get these phrases Usually around stories, right? So Mary tells the story of Jesus as a boy, and that story ends with, and Mary treasured these things in her heart. Commentators agree that almost certainly the way these books are written almost is, is by like an interview, right? That interviewing them, this writer picked up, oh, Mary treasured this story, right? 
So these are their words. So I want to put forward this morning that Saul, Paul, describes himself. This is his description of who he was before Jesus. That's important to see the the playing out of the entirety of this text, which is so deep. We're not going to get through everything. So this is Paul's description of himself because he's setting up a gospel, a gospel that is more than good news. It's a gospel that transforms, fundamentally changes the entirety. It's interesting that chapter before this, has the Ethiopian say, how could I understand unless someone explains to me? I think this chapter actually develops it further and says, how can I understand who God is unless someone changes me? This chapter, we didn't read the t- stories which follow, but there's parallels or there's contrasts throughout it. In this chapter, Saul is blind, regains sight. The next story immediately following it, is that of a paralytic who regains full mobility. The story that follows after that is of a woman named Dorcas who's dead and is brought back to life. There's intentionality throughout this entire chapter to emphasize that when we meet Jesus, when we know God, we are entirely changed. We are brought to life. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul's words capture just how foreign God is to him. He says, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. You know, it's interesting. When Jesus comes to the disciples, right? His words are almost always, don't be afraid. But when he comes before Saul, we don't see that. There's an absence. I think it shows just how blind Saul really was, even before he lost his physical sight. I am Jesus who you are persecuting. We're going to leave Saul now. We'll come back to him. But I want to move to our second point. That which is God is near to us. For those of us who are Christians, right, this is really, really significant. And I hope you carry it forward throughout throughout this week and, and weeks to come. I am Jesus who you are persecuting. Now the text tells us that Saul was persecuting the church. And yet Jesus' words are, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. Not, I am Jesus whose people you are persecuting. We do not walk alone. I see in this actually a promise, a a fulfillment, right? That even as we, in times of darkness, try to draw close to God, He draws close to us. I told in our introduction, right, that I worked as a chaplain intern this summer. I met with people in some of the worst days of their lives. Some of them the last days of their lives. Quite often, I would go back to Psalm 23, which is a beautiful prayer, right? It's the shepherd's prayer. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, This is where I would slow down with those who I met with. Even though I walk through this, the darkest valley. Some translations say deep, deep darkness. Other translations say the the valley of the shadow of death. All this meaning is basically the grave, right? There's nothing, your senses fall short. Even though I walk through the, the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. That's the prayer which Scripture gives us as we navigate difficult times. Yet what I love in this passage 
is that the church which is persecuted, that church which is suffering, which is struggling, feeling injustice, Jesus claims, I feel it. I feel their suffering. I feel their persecution. Not from a distance amidst it. I think we even see this further fulfilled just within this story. Paul has lost his vision. The text says, though his eyes were open, he saw nothing. And I bet right there in those three days, he felt like a man in deep, deep darkness. Here's a guy who knew, he was a Pharisee. That means he knew the Old Testament. He knew God's laws, God's commands, and he lived them better than everyone else around him. And yet, when he's confronted with the Lord, he is reduced. Reduced. He says, I was uh, uh, from the tribe of Benjamin, a Jew of Jews, a Pharisee, that he was surpassing those around him for his zeal, for his father's traditions. Those are Paul's words from others' texts. And yet, this text, as Saul, he is reduced to being led by the hand like a child, blind and darkness. Jesus leads us through dark valleys sometimes, but in that, he is with them. He is with you and I. So I don't know where you might be at, but as a, as a Christian this morning, right, in this text, we see Jesus not claiming from afar, claiming closeness to you in the midst. And even if it might not feel like he is, this text is beautiful. So Saul, this man who's blind, who doesn't eat or drink for three days, essentially like a man in the grave, dead without hope, his whole worldview has been shattered, right? Is, um, is actually very near to God. Verse 11, the Lord said to Ananias, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man named, of Tarsus named Saul. The ESV says this well. The NIV puts it a little bit less, but I love how the ESV says it. Go find a man named Saul, for behold, he is praying. Saul, surrounded by darkness, is praying. Prayer wouldn't have been distant to him, too. Again, he's a Pharisee. His whole life would have been oriented around prayer. But I like to think that this prayer was one that was utterly different. This is a prayer of a man at the end of himself, the end of his way, ready for a new life. You don't know much about me, but I will draw one parallel between me and Saul. Before I really started following Christ, about two weeks before he broke my whole stubborn world, before I made this prayer, I said, God, I'm not close to you, and I don't want to be. It's on you. It was a dark time of my life. And he heard that. Jesus upends everything. Saul, a man whose life was pretty much set before him, whose righteousness was greater than everyone else, gets upended. There's a transition here that I'm just going to quickly touch on. As we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, I encourage you, do not be scared. Do not be scared of the past which you bring with the truth which you might tell. Saul, a man breathing out threats and murder, was exactly where he was, right? That's where we were. We have to be willing and ready, just as Saul, in retelling his own story, 
to have a gospel in which we are the baddies, where we are wrong. Saul didn't have it partially right. He had it utterly wrong. And that's what makes the gospel so different. He knew all the laws of God, yet he did not know them properly applied through the heart of God. God's truths with God's heart. I kind of think of it as the way the soldiers around him react to the confrontation of Jesus. It says, Though they heard the sound, they didn't see anything. Makes me think of Stephen's words just a chapter before. You stiff-necked people as he's getting stoned. You stiff-necked people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised, unopened. You're just like your ancestors. You resist the Holy Spirit. The good news is that God's greater than our stubbornness. And he invites us in to his work. That the gospel is that of transformation. So in and of itself, it, it carries power in spite of us, despite of how we share it. It is powerful. I love Ananias as he comes into this story. Ananias is so human and so much like each of us. Here I am, Lord, he says, with a a chipper spirit, I kind of imagine, right? Totally ready to follow and serve God and what God is doing. And yet, to follow is the difficult part, right? To say, here I am, is easy. And I kind of wonder if Ananias had grown complacent in his faith or almost dull, even in the midst of persecution of the early church. Here's what I mean. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. What's interesting there is one, holy people in Jerusalem. As if anyone is holy apart from what God has done. As if any of us bring anything really clean or pure or not a messed up life. Ananias, the church 2,000 years ago, forgets that Christians are just saints with a dirty past and a saved pure future because of what God has done. That the church, even 2,000 years ago, that forgets that the gospel is for murderers and for sinners, for those hate-filled, for those who we fear, right? For those who need it. It's just comical that when I think of those who I'm most hesitant to share, they're the exact ones who need it. It shows that the heart of God, even when we know it as Christians, as children of God, it's hard for us. It's a process of growing into it, becoming more and more like it. So Ananias shows resistance for a man who, the man, the exact type of man, who needs grace, who needs mercy, who needs love. And God calls him. He says, go, for he is my instrument. Here's what I want us to see in Ananias' working. In Ananias' part of bringing salvation to Saul is that it's a passive part. Saul is a man who is breathing out threats and murder. And Ananias shows all that, shows all the danger. And by all means, 
Saul is a lost and hopeless cause. And yet, before God ever asks his servant to enter in, look what Jesus has done in this man's life, in Saul's life. He has brought him to the place where he is praying and ready to receive grace, to receive the Holy Spirit. And God did all of that before ever asking Ananias to play a part. Looking at this church, I can see empty seats. I don't say that in a way to lay anything on your shoulders. What I do say is, this text shows us Ananias only had to show up and pray. God did all the rest. Jesus did all the rest. All that evil, all that brokenness, all that mess, all that hate, Jesus confronted before he brought Ananias in. Ananias prays, Saul receives the Holy Spirit, is baptized, born again, and raises up and eats a man with hope, newfound hope, newfound life. And he immediately goes out and starts preaching, preaching that Jesus is the Messiah. Now we know Saul, Paul, as a great theologian. Letter to the Romans, Galatians, First and Second Corinthians, Ephesians, all these write, writings of his. But I think this text shows he immediately went out. That sort of immediacy, I think that's a gospel that just was, he was just preaching what God had done in his life. Not necessarily who God was in the entirety, which the rest of his life and ministry will show, rather just what Jesus had done in him. It's a simple gospel when you put it like that, right? A simple message to share. So as I close, I want to go once more over the three points, the three lenses which I think we see in this text, which are in this text and illustrated. First, that of radical, utter transformation. That a man who was breathing out threats and murder, slaughter against others, is changed. In fact, changed so much that the rest of his life is flipped and those persecute him while he persecutes no one. And second, this text reminds us of the closeness of Jesus to his church, to you and I in the midst of everything. That Jesus is not way up there and we are forgotten, detached people from him, but that rather he is in the midst, in the darkness, right beside you, feeling for himself whatever struggle, difficulty, injustice, hardship you are facing. He feels your sorrow. He feels your pain. He is with you. And finally, this last point. We should not doubt the effectual work of God's message. I can imagine each of you has a family member or a friend, someone who has been mistreated maybe by the church, who has a hatred now for God's message, for God's people, for the church. And yet, this text shows us that right now, God might be working, God might be confronting them. Jesus might be confronting them and bringing them to the place where you and I have only to show up and pray and share and witness. Will you join me in prayer?
Heavenly Father, you have worked powerfully. You have worked powerfully in the lives of those who are part of your church 2,000 years ago. And yet, Lord, each of us here is here because you have worked in our lives. You have brought us here. You have called us here. Not because of anything we have done, but because of your grace and your love and your patience. And Lord, you are making us into new creations in your image. Lord, we just pray that the heart which you have shown us, which has changed us, might be more and more solidified in us, that we might be your hands, your feet, your mouth, your servants, your witness. We pray all these things in Jesus' name by the power of his spirit. Amen. Well, we're going to continue in, in worship and song and also giving of our tithes and offerings. And uh, yeah, as we give, we're sowing into God's kingdom and helping Sunrise to pursue our mission of transforming the world with God's grace and love. And, and one of the ways we're doing that is, you know, like Byron mentioned a little earlier, in a, in a little less than a month, we're going to have our fall kickoff. And kind of like we've done in years past, we'll have um, tables set up here in the, on the sides with all the ministries that are starting up this fall and ways to get involved and connected and serving here at Sunrise. And um, yeah, just one of the ways that our tithes and offerings um, are used is to sow into those ministries to help us get involved and get connected and also spreading that out into our um, community as well. So let's, let's give, let's give joyously and also worship singing Have It All Together. life and breathe on this heart that is now yours. Sing that again. You can have it all, Lord. Every part of my world. So take this life and breathe This heart that is now yours And oh, the joy I found Surrendering my crowns At the feet of the King Who surrendered
beauty to us singing I lay it all down because when we lay down all that we have we are finally ready to receive the fullness of God's riches which we couldn't hold with other things and these riches are yours this morning through God's blessing and benediction these words are from uh, second Thessalonians and they're God's words to you as you give up your world and receive a part of his Let the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal good hope and encouragement. Let him now encourage you, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good word and deed. Go out with this peace and this blessing.